0: Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen completed our series, What's in Your House? This final sermon asks us, what treasures have we selfishly withheld from giving back to God? Remember, you can watch our live stream on YouTube that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. And sometimes those worship songs are good enough to, I just want to say amen and call it a day, right? But I put all this work into the message, so you have to hear it today, so. Do you guys remember when you were, um, when you were kids, or maybe those of you who have little kids right now, do you remember the importance of things being fair? Right? You cut a sandwich in half to give one to each kid, one half to each kid, and God help you if the pieces weren't even, right? If he got three presents for Christmas, she had better get three presents for Christmas. There's no explaining like, well, that one was a little more expensive, you can't do that. If he got three, she gets three, right? Everything has to be even, and everything has to be fair. And everything has to be fair because we are naturally greedy people, now, I'm not one to do that whole shameful guilt trip, especially in light of what Pastor Bill just said about blue, that we're kind of an innately awful, horrible human beings from birth, so we should feel terrible about ourselves. Having said that, you will never be able to convince me that we are not naturally selfish people. If you cut two pieces of birthday cake and one is bigger than the other, what child under the sun is going to choose the smaller piece, right? If you put two toddlers on the floor with one toy, how's that going to work out, right? Parents have to teach their children to share because we are naturally selfish people. We have to learn to put other people first because it is our natural desire to want to be first or or to want to be the best or to want to be the wealthiest or whatever the case may be. If there's a first, we want to be it. If there's a more, we want it. If someone has to get the smallest piece or play with the lamest toy or be the last in line, we don't want anything to do with that. While this is definitely more of a struggle for some people than for other people, I do really believe that we are all naturally Selfish. Now, the hope, of course, is that as we mature, we learn self control and we learn selflessness, that that over time it becomes more second nature to wait in the back of the line or to not need to take the biggest piece of cake. The hope, especially for those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, is that we would practice daily the art of putting other people above or in front of ourselves. But for some of us, It's still a constant battle not to grab whatever we can or whatever we want, no matter the relational cost to us. Well, this morning we are in our, the final week of our series, What's in Your House, where we have had the chance to talk about using what we have to serve God. And so far we've talked about what it means to invest our time in the things that matter to God. And then last week we talked about the reality that we have all been gifted by God, that we all play a part in the body of Christ, that every last one of us is a necessary and vital part of the body, which means that there is a place for you here. If you've missed either of those sermons and you want to catch up, you can check them out on our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. This morning, as we close out our series, we're going to talk about what it means to give your treasure in service to God. Now, I'm assuming the last time you heard somebody use the word treasure, it was related to pirates, right? (laughs) Right? This is not a word that we tend to use very often. But throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible, it talks about us giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And so that's kind of just one of those phrases that has just made its way into church lingo. Time, talent, treasure. But the the non-pirate and non-Bible way of talking about that is to ask you, what are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your stuff, your possessions? your wealth. Whatever you own, that is your treasure. Now, there are a couple of different directions that we can take this conversation when talking about our treasure or our wealth. One of the ways is is to teach on a biblical concept called tithing. Tithing is is this biblical command for us to give a very specific amount of our income to God. It's something that dates all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to when God was first trying to make a people for himself. And tithing is something that we very much believe that God still calls us to practice today. However, tithing is not going to be our particular focus for this morning. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, oh, phew. But don't get too excited. We're just not talking about it today. We're going to talk about it in two weeks. <laughs> Pastor is going to bring a message to us on tithing in just a couple weeks as we prepare to do a tithing Sunday, which he'll also tell you about when he speaks in a couple of weeks. And so we're looking forward to that. But this morning's focus, as has been the case for the rest of this series, is to ask ourselves how we are using what God has given to us. And so in order to talk about how we are using what God has given to us, we first have to talk about what we believe about what we possess. And this is a pretty interesting thing in our lives because I, I, think, I think that it was just more naturally assumed that we all believe that our time belongs to God because God gave us life. And despite what we'd like to think, God is in control of time. And so when we preached on that a couple of weeks ago, I think it was easier to collectively agree that our time belongs to God. God. And then last week when we talked about our talent, we acknowledged that God is the creator of life and that we are made in the image of God. And we we talked about these different scriptures that named the reality that God gives gifts to each of us, right? Gifts that are meant to be used to serve each other, to serve the church, to serve God. And so the collective assumption last week is that our talent belongs to God. But then we get to treasure And it feels like a bit of a different story. Our money, our stuff. Well, we live in America, and we have been taught that what we make is ours. Except for the part that the government gets, but (laughs) it's a different sermon. I earned my money. I deserve my stuff. No one worked all the hours that I worked to earn the money that I make, and so just as no one is going to sit there and pay my bills for me, what's mine is mine. I earned it. I can choose how I spend it. And suddenly it feels a little more difficult to believe that what we have belongs to God. Sure, God made my time. And sure, God gave me my talent. But God did not himself have to sit through eight hours of mind-numbing meetings on my behalf today. And God didn't have to physically stand in the factory doing the same monotonous job for 12 hours today. God didn't have to teach 30 masked kindergartners how to read today. God didn't do my job. I did. And so what I earn is mine to use however I wish. And that is certainly one way to look at it. And if you choose to look at it that way, you will never really see a need to offer back to God any portion of the money you've earned or the possessions that you've gained. Because if God is not the source, then why should God get a cut, right? I'm not here this morning to convert you or to convince you that God is the source because only God can do that. But I do want to briefly name just a couple of things. There's a verse in the book of Psalms from from Psalm 24 and it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then later in that same book, God says, every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, it sounds like God is just staking claim to the cattle on the thousand hills, but that's not what it is. The the cattle on a thousand hills is a metaphor in that particular verse, and it's a metaphor for all of the world's wealth, because this was written at a time when the world's wealth was measured largely in livestock. And so this was God's way of saying, if you can see it, if you can touch it, if it exists at all, it belongs to me. And so all throughout Scripture, God lays claim to all that he has made. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is what you believe about the person of Jesus. If you believe in God, and you believe that all that exists belongs to God, that may be reason enough for you to give some portion of what you've earned, some portion of what you own, back to God. Right? And if you believe that Jesus... Is, is just a nice guy, or a good teacher, but that he was nothing more than that, that is also going to set some boundaries around what you give and why. But if you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, it should change the way that you see every aspect of your life. And when I say should, I don't mean to, that kind of in terms of telling you what to do. When I say that, I mean that in terms of when we have experienced radical generosity, it tends to spur generosity in us. When we have experienced radical love or radical forgiveness, it tends to spur love and forgiveness on in us. It tends to evoke that in us. And so if we really believe that God created all of the world and all that is within it belongs to him, and if we really believe, as Scripture says, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to live and die and rise again on our behalf to take upon himself the sins of the world, our sins, to pay the price that we should have paid, right? If we believe that by his wounds we are healed, that because of Jesus's death on the cross, we are free from sin and free to live both here and now and for all eternity. If we really believe all of that, we have an awful lot of nerve hoarding all of our money and stuff, don't we? How can we respond to the unbelievable, unimaginable, undeserved sacrifice of Jesus Christ with anything but unbelievable and unimaginable sacrifice on our part? It's so hard. I get it. I get it. And I'm not saying that all of us have to be Mother Teresa. I'm not saying that we all have to give everything that we have away and go live on the poorest place on earth. I'm not saying that that we are all called to take some kind of vow of poverty. I'm not here to judge the size of the house that you live in or the kind of car that you drive or where you went on your last vacation. None of this is about what we have. It's about what we do with what we have. And that is precisely what God cares about as well. If I'm being perfectly honest with you, on this side of heaven, I will never, ever understand why so many people are born into such extreme poverty that there is no hope of them ever getting out. While on the other side of the world, we have these like Yahoo trillionaires sending famous people into space just for kicks. Right? I I will never understand that. I will never understand why I get to sit on my couch and order food from my phone from any one of like a hundred restaurants, even though my pantry is fully stocked with food, while others around the world aren't even sure if they're gonna have a next meal, let alone knowing where it's going to come from, right? I'll never understand that. What I do know is that God cares so much for the poor and that God cares about us caring so much for the poor. What I do know is that God is very concerned about the condition of our hearts when it comes to what we possess. And regardless of where you are on your own journey of faith, if you are anywhere trying to live this life with or for Jesus, we have to care about this. We have to care about God's deep concern over the condition of our hearts when it comes to what we do with what we have. And there's a story from the Bible that I wanna look at this morning to help us understand this a little bit better. If you've been around the church for a while, this is gonna be a very, very familiar story to you. But if you're brand new, if this is your very first Sunday ever in church, I promise you that this story will make sense to you. It comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and it starts at verse 41. In your Bible, it might be called something like the widow's offering. This is what it says. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So in this particular text, Jesus himself is sitting in the temple, and the religious leaders are are around him, and the religious leaders, ironically enough, were out to get Jesus at this point. Because Jesus had come into their culture and into their religion, and he didn't want to do things the way that they wanted to do things, and so they were out to get him. And so before this chapter, or this verse that I just read, this passage I just, I just read, before that, Jesus is talking with some of the religious leaders, and they were trying to test him by asking Jesus which commandment is the most important of all the commandments. After Jesus passed their little quiz, he turned and started teaching in the temple, And what did he teach on? (laughs) He taught on the arrogance of the religious leaders, which I just think is really funny. (laughs) He said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Watch out. He's talking about the clergy. He's talking about the religious leaders at this time, the the lawyer. They were all kind of a, a group of people together. Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogues and have the highest places of honor at the banquets. In other words, if you cut the sandwich in half, the religious leaders are going to take the bigger half. That's what Jesus is saying here. And that's the text that rolls into the text that I just read for you. So Jesus sits down in the temple across from what we would call the offering plate for them, it wasn't just a plate, though, and there wasn't just one of them. The temple would have had 13 different uh, what they called shofar chests, which were these boxes that were shaped like trumpets. And the size of your gift would typically determine which of the boxes you were allowed to throw your offering into. And throw your offering, they did. In fact, people would throw their money in there in in such an aggressive, in such a purposeful way so as to create as much sound, as much noise as possible because they wanted other people to hear the sound of their money hitting those boxes so that, that other people could be impressed by how much money they were giving. And so Jesus is just sitting there watching this happen and he's watching all these rich people throw in these sizable donations, the ones that made a ton of noise, the ones that would be used to fancy up the temple and he doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a word about it. And then the poor widow walks in and well, her gift is so small that there's only one box in the whole temple that she'd probably be allowed to put it in, her her gift was made up of the smallest form of currency that existed in their culture. She put in two lepta, and the lepton was the smallest Greek coin. In Mark's gospel, he he, uh, translates that into, into Roman coin, but it was the smallest Greek coin. It had the least value of any money that was in circulation at that time, and that's what this woman brought as an offering. Her offering would have been roughly five minutes worth of labor at a minimum wage job at that time. So her meager offering probably would hardly have made a sound when it hit that box. And even if it did make a sound, the sound would be so small, so quiet, that it would have been drowned out by the sound of the much bigger offerings being given in the other boxes where the rich people were donating large, useful sums of money And yet it was the widow's offering that Jesus takes the time to point out. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. She gave out of her wealth. I'm sorry, they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. Put in everything. All that she has to live on. In other words, this woman did not put into the box her extra. Because she had no extra. She put in what she had what she needed to live on that particular day, trusting that God was going to provide for her. And to her, that was so much more. It was so much more to Jesus than let's say the $100,000 donation that had been made at the same time. It meant more to Jesus because the person who made the $100,000 donation didn't feel that. That donation was made out of excess out of money that was left over after everything else was already taken care of. And that's kind of how we tend to look at giving in our culture, isn't it? Right? Let me pay my rent or my mortgage first. Let me pay my car payment, my insurance payment. Let me factor in some groceries, obviously some Netflix, my cell phone, maybe a little money for some new clothes if I'm lucky, some spending money. I'll pay off the balance or all right, the minimum of my credit card. And then, and then if I happen to have anything left over, I'll think about giving some of it to the church or to charity or, or something like that. And so some weeks maybe I'll offer $100 and sometimes it's 10 bucks and sometimes it's nothing at all because over half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And if God is getting our leftovers, then we're gonna come up short every single time, aren't we? And again, unless we're talking about You're talking specifically about tithing, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. It's not the amount of money that matters at all. It's the condition of one's heart. It's the condition of one's heart. Hebrews 13, 16 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For such sacrifices, please God. And then look at what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 6. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you believe that God is able to bless you abundantly? Or do you believe that what you've earned is yours to keep? There's an author by the name of Daryl Bach. He wrote a commentary on the, well, lots of the, a couple of the gospels actually, but he says, he's talking about pride when it comes to our money. And he says, what is difficult about pride is that it develops at such an unconscious level in the mind that it is often unnoticed by the person who has it. He says, but it does emerge in the ways that others are treated. Not only does pride make generosity difficult, but so does the culture we live in where money equals power. And then there's another quote by an author named Lauren Tyler who wrote a book called The Sacred Art of Giving, The Sacred Art. And she says, The power that money has to comfort us, to motivate us, and even to define us is what makes giving money such a potent form of worship. When we give money away, we give away the power that it represents, now, giving away power in any form is difficult for most of us, but giving away the power of money is particularly difficult, and for most of us, it is a very learned, very practiced discipline, something that takes intention, something that takes persistence, something that takes practice, but it is certainly easier to do when coming from the position that it was never ours to begin with, right? The woman at the temple was able to give the only money that she had because she believed that it belonged to God to begin with and because she trusted God to take care of her daily needs. Back in 2000, I had the opportunity to go on a a mission trip to Ecuador with our denomination. And they asked us to pack our suitcase full of our own stuff and then to bring a bag or a second suitcase that had some things to give to a Um, A small community in need is what they told us. And so when we got there, we rounded up and organized all of the clothes and the toys and the books and the school supplies for this quote-unquote little town in need. And a few days into our trip in Ecuador, we drove into the mountains and had the chance to stay at this really cool kind of indigenous-themed locally-owned hotel. And after this really nice stay in a comfortable bed in an air-conditioned room, they fed us this amazing meal And then we packed into this bus and drove several hours further into the mountains on the scariest road I've ever been on in all of my life. And finally, after driving past nothing and no one but this scary mountain pass for two hours, we could see this teeny tiny little village tucked into the valley, surrounded by mountains on all sides. And I I just couldn't make sense of how, or in my arrogance, why anyone would live there. It was so far away from everything. When we got there, we learned that the entire town was dependent on money that was earned from the fish farm in their little village. Because it was such a long trek in, we were told that we could only stay in the town an hour or so. And so we met the pastor of the church there and we showed him the containers of supplies that we had brought from, for his town. And he was so grateful. And I was so happy that we could help. And then he and his wife prepared, told us that he prepared lunch for us. They prepared lunch for us. Now, aside from the fact that we had all had this huge meal for breakfast and certainly didn't need the food, in my not so humble opinion, this community had nothing. And there were 15 of us. Think about how expensive it is to feed 15 people. But the invitation was extended, and it would have been deeply offensive if we had said no, and so off to their house we went. This house had fabric for the side of their walls that was rolled up, and so when we got there, the the whole house was kind of open. And his wife was standing over the biggest pot of rice I'd ever seen. And that day for lunch, she served all 15 of us a plate full of rice and tomatoes that she herself had grown, and we each received a whole entire fish from their fish farm. That was 15 fish that they could have sold at market that day that instead they gave to some strangers who didn't need it and who they would never see again. That fish was their entire livelihood. But they cooked and served that meal with such warm and gracious and generous hearts, the only thing that they had to give. They knew what it was to believe that everything they own comes from God, that it's all a gift, and that in our willingness to hold loosely to our wealth, that God will provide what we need. But I was judging God. Like, are you, are you really providing for their needs, Lord? Because I couldn't live like that. I've been whining that Starbucks has been out of my favorite drink for the last year. I couldn't live like that. But our hosts that day showed me how little I knew about generosity and how seldom I practiced it. When they pray the Lord's Prayer asking God for daily bread, they meant it literally. And yet not for a second, Did they question whether or not they should prepare a feast for their guests? It's a hard pill to swallow when you come from a culture that teaches you to take the biggest slice of cake. The money that that widow put in the treasury that day in the temple was going to do absolutely nothing to help the church. Any one of us here probably has that much money rolling around on the bottom of our, our car right now. And yet it is her gift that Jesus points out, saying she has put more into the treasury than all the others. Friends, this world is never going to teach us how to manage our money the way that God has called us to. The world will tell us to look at Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk's and Mark Zuckerberg's of the world to tell us how to handle our money. The world will continue selling us books and teaching us tricks to invest in just the right stocks and bonds and cryptocurrency at just the right time. The world will show us that only the giant donations, the one that result in your name being on the side of the buildings, are the ones that really matter. The world will continue to teach us to take the biggest slice of cake we can get our hands on. But the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And just as our time belongs to God because he created it, and just because our talents belong to God because he created us, our money, our possessions, our stuff belong to God because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But my prayer isn't that we would learn to give out of guilt. And it isn't that we would learn to give because some pastor told you to. And it isn't that we would learn to give out of obligation. My prayer is that we would learn to give in response to what God gave to us. We have breath in our lungs because God breathed us into being. And we were granted this new day because God caused the sun to rise. And we have life eternal should we choose it because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save it through him. I know that a lot of us, myself included, often walk around this world as if we are owed the life that, we are, that we've been given and as if we are guaranteed as many days as we want but this one precious life is all we have been given and every second of it and everything we have is a gift given by a loving God. And when we realize that, when we realize that all we are and all we have is a gift, it is a whole lot more fun to give. And so friends, as we close this series, what is in your house? Whether it's your time, your talent, Or your treasure, we all have something to give. And chances are God is probably challenging each one of us to give of the thing right now that we are holding most tightly to. So, what in your house do you need to let go of just a little? Your time, your talent, your treasure? Because what you hold loosely, God will use. Let's pray together. God, this is such a hard topic to talk about in church because money is such a sensitive issue for so many of us, Lord. It's easy for us to say that our time belongs to you and it's easy for us to say that our talent belongs to you. But God, we live in a culture that tells us that what's mine is mine. And we also live in a culture, Lord, that tells us that we're supposed to keep up with our neighbor, our neighbor's house and our neighbor's car and our neighbor's stuff. In all of these voices coming at us, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for us to live as generous people. And yet, God, you have called us to live a life of generosity, not out of wrath, not out of obligation, not out of anger, not out of guilt, but in response to your incredible generosity to us. Lord, would you help us to see that this morning, that every single thing we have is a gift. That every single thing we have is a gift from a loving father. And so Lord, would you open our hearts and help us to be generous? Would you help us to give back to you from what we have, knowing that what we have came from you to begin with? Help us to be cheerful givers, Lord. We live a life of abundance because we have an abundant God. And for that we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.